Joshua is dead, and the nation begins to forget God and his law. As consequences pile up, God raises up judges for the nation. On The Bible Brief. Today is review day on The Bible Brief. If you haven't left us a five-star review on your podcast player, will you do that today? Reviews are a key way the new people find out about the show. We need leaders. Each of us needs people who will stand before us and guide us, who will nurture our gifts and help us avoid temptation, who will provide examples that we can imitate. The first leaders in most of our lives were our parents, a father who may have demonstrated hard work and discipline, a mother who may have showed compassion and understanding, each of them guiding us. Go this way, not that way. Learn these things, not those things. Be kind, be generous, be strong. Don't be selfish, stubborn, or rude. Fathers and mothers all over the world lead their children. They form children into young adults who soon become parents themselves. The parental leadership cycle continues, ideally passing down good things to each generation through good leadership. But outside of parents, each of us have also seen leadership. Perhaps a role model, a teacher, a coach, or a pastor. We've seen qualities in these people that made following them easy and made imitation of them a desire. They may have been a great encourager, someone who pushed you to be better, or someone with high expectations that you wanted to rise to meet. They cultivated your growth in a different way than your parents but they still pushed you to be something more than you were when you first met them. Israel had these kind of leaders. They had Moses, the shepherd of sheep who had become the shepherd of the nation. By God's power, he led the people out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. He stood before God on behalf of the people to receive the law. He led them for 40 years through the wilderness. And before he died, he encouraged the people to love God obey his commands and take the land. Moses was a faithful leader to his stiff-necked countrymen. Joshua too was the kind of leader that we all might wish to have. He was a strong and courageous general who led the people through success in battle after battle as they took the promised land of Canaan. Even when the enemies were innumerable, he yet trusted God to give Israel victory over them. And before he died, he echoed the encouragement of Moses Love God, obey his commands, and take the land. But what happened after Moses and Joshua? Who would be the next leader of the nation? Who would push the nation to continue in love and obedience to God? Who would warn the nation from worshiping false gods? Who would it be? Well, it wouldn't be a person. It would actually be a tribe. One of the 12 tribes of Israel with very big shoes to fill. The nation of Israel still had pockets of resistance to defeat within the land of Canaan, and this tribe was to go out to battle first. Could they fill the leadership role for the nation? We read this in Judges, chapter 1. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up, 
Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And the tribe of Judah said to the tribe of Simeon, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated ten thousand of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Judah and Simeon successfully defeat ten thousand of the Canaanites and Perizzites dwelling in their allotted territories, as God shows that he will still be with the people in their battles to continue taking the land. But at the end of this battle, when they come across the leader of one of these Canaanite cities, instead of killing him in the population devastation campaign that God commanded, they cut off his fingers and toes. They disqualify him from ever holding a sword and battling again. This is an act of disobedience. They don't kill the king. They cut off his fingers and toes. And this disobedience signals a subtle shift that will continue to develop through this passage. Soon they are successful in more battles for the territory in Simeon. They capture several more cities and areas. But as Judah leads the nation in a demonstration of God's power in their success, they also lead the nation in a demonstration of lack of faith. Judah's leadership eventually leads to this statement about the tribe. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain, because they had chariots of iron. Now why is it that Judah couldn't defeat these chariots in the plain? Why, when God had defeated armies with hailstones and water and shouting, could Judah not take on these chariots? Well, Let's just say that disobeying God has its consequences. Consequences that continue to be shown in the nation. Next we read about the tribe of Benjamin that The people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And next we read about the tribes of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Zebulun. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages, or Tanak and its villages, among others. For the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in the land. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer, so the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, or the inhabitants of Nahalal. So the Canaanites lived among them, but became subject to forced labor. We don't need to go through more of the tribes for you to get the idea of what's happening in Israel in the years after Joshua died. In tribe after tribe, starting with the lead tribe of Judah, we see failure upon failure to defeat and drive out the inhabitants from the land. Instead of total population devastation, we see the Israelites force the Canaanites to labor for them. This is a failure of conquest, a failure caused by the disobedience of the tribes. 
And soon God tells the people of Israel exactly what has happened due to their disobedience, and why these inhabitants aren't defeatable like they were in the days of Joshua. We read this in Judges chapter 2. God says, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Ouch. It was happening just as Joshua and Moses had warned the nation. By disobeying God in their conquest conduct, they have caused additional harm on themselves. God announces that he will no longer drive out the inhabitants out from before Israel in battle. Instead, he will leave them, and he will leave them there as a consequence of disobedience. This generation that came after Joshua's was in a bad state. Their lead tribe of Judah, while having some initial success, failed to lead the nation in the ways of war. But perhaps worse than that, the parents of the next generation had failed to inculcate the necessity of obedience to their children. The parents failed in leadership of their children. They didn't teach them about all the great things that God had done for the nation. And as a result, their children are described as those who did not know Yahweh. Not that they'd never heard of Yahweh, but that they didn't trust Him as their parents did. They continued in evil and got worse. We read this in verse 11 that the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods, from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to their plunderers, who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress." In Joshua's day, the nation had had a taste of the blessing of dwelling in the promised land of Canaan. They had been obedient in the conquest of Canaan, and they got to experience about 25 years of rest and blessing. But the next generation experienced the opposite. They did evil. They served the Baals. They allowed the Canaanites to live among them. And as a result, they got a taste of the curses that come upon the disobedient. They weren't yet cast from the land, but they were in distress in the land. The text goes even so far as to say that the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as he had sworn. Just as God is faithful in blessing obedience, he's faithful in cursing disobedience. But God isn't merely a God of justice. He's also a God of abounding mercy, even when his people don't deserve it. God doesn't just consign the people to forever distress in their disobedience. Instead, He provides them a succession of several new leaders to defeat those who oppress the people. These leaders are called judges, 
And for the next 300 years, the nation has many judges who save the people, despite the people's rebellion against God. In Judges chapter 2, verse 16 and following, we read the summary of the years to come. Then the Lord raised up judges, who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet the people did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning, because of those who afflicted them and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out from before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died, in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. Over and over again, the people are going to rebel against God. But over and over again, God will mercifully provide a judge to save them from their enemies. Enemies in the land, because the people disobeyed God in the first place. But this sad cycle that we're going to see is not without its exciting twists and turns. In the era of the judges, we're going to see assassinations, tent pegs used as weapons, unsolvable riddles, and God's spirit empowering victory amidst certain defeat. Buckle up. It's a bumpy road, but it's a road that leads to a king. Join us next time as Israel is in great distress before a woman rises to save the nation. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023